0: Father, that that wedding would honor you and uh, Mm -hmm. that you would just continue to bless uh, in uh, Josh and Allison's life. Mm -hmm. Thank you again for our time. We pray that your hand would be upon us and especially uh, use the word of God in our lives. Yes. Mm -hmm. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, Brother Cooper. (laughs) If you would, please take your Bibles and turn to the book of Joshua, chapter 1, this morning. Joshua chapter 1, as I mentioned, we're beginning our new series. We're excited about that. And uh, you'll get to learn from multiple perspectives, but it's all the same lesson. So each of us, the idea is that we will pick up where the other one is left off. We're all using the same content and material. And so it should be uh, an exciting study. This is introduction this morning to the book of Joshua. And so we're going to study the man's life. We're also going to be looking at um, why even Joshua would conquer the land. Hopefully you all have a handout. If, do you have a handout? Everyone, anyone not have a handout? Okay, I think everyone has one. That is great. So you see there in your notes in the introduction, our new study. Uh, it is the important introduction and background to the book of Joshua and the man's life personally. Who was Joshua? We're going to look at that this morning. But class, first of all, who would or why would God select him of all two million Jews as Moses' successor? Um, Of all the people that there could have been selected, why was Joshua selected? We're going to talk about the man Joshua this morning. Um, But there's another thing we're going to talk about at the end of the lesson. But I'll bring it up now for us to think about. You see, if you know anything about the book of Joshua, it is filled with violence and death. Now, those are some serious serious issues. And in fact, because of the the brutal nature of the book of Joshua, it's prompted numerous people to ask, well, if God is a God of love, why would he allow such a book to be included in his word if it is filled with the difficult subjects of violence and death and war and destruction and even the very annihilation of people groups? Class, question for you this morning as we start. Does God condone violence? What do you think? Does He condone violence? Does He allow for violence? Was this book covering a lot of violent acts? Thank you. You guys are there with me this morning. Why would God put this book with this content in his inspired inerrant word as a warning, as a warning to or why? To, I guess everybody no. A warning about sin. About, sin. about sin. There are consequences for sin. they're sort of warning them about it. Yes, Dan. Absolutely. Absolutely. God does allow sin. He allowed Adam and Eve to choose to rebel against him by selecting in the garden what they were going to do. Right. He put a tree there of the knowledge of good and evil. He said, don't eat it. If you eat, you shall surely what? You surely die. That was right from our first parents, right? Yes, that's very true. We're going to talk about that this morning towards the end of the lesson. And that's what I want you to think about, class. In, in this series and in, in the whole opening of Joshua, why would God put this harsh killing and war and destruction and death and annihilation in His Word. It would give the enemies of God the opportunity to mock and to say, well, if He's a God of love, then how is He a God of love when you look at all the killings that, that were allowed in his, for His people to come in and take over the land? And, and so um, many in our society today, they reject parts of the Bible because they can't understand how such violent acts of humanity against one another can be part of God's sovereign control over His creation. They think, well, he's impotent. They surmise either he is too weak to control his creation, so he is impotent, or he is too unloving to allow such behavior to occur and do nothing to prevent it. And so there's a, there's a problem, there's an issue just from the very outset about God, God, why God would allow this to be included in his canon of Scripture. But both of these perspectives, class, clearly attack the omnipotence and the very character of God, who He is. And so, why wouldn't God include such a harsh narrative to be a part of His inspired and inerrant word? Stay tuned We'll talk about that. So today's lesson is about this introductory perspective that will give us confidence to know that God always does right. Look in your notes there in the introduction. I put in there for you Genesis 18.25. He says, that be far from thee. What, what's far from God? Well, to slay the righteous with the wicked. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And all God's people said, that's true. Absolutely. Amen. He always does right. Even though we can't understand what seems to be harsh and, and brutal, God always does right. Because He is a holy God, in addition to His love and mercy and kindness and grace. And so the answer is yes, God will always do right. And harsh themes in the book of Joshua are no exception. So let's study this together and and set the stage for the rest of the series. In your notes there, I don't have PowerPoint this morning, so follow along closely. I'll give you the fill-ins. Who was Joshua? Who was Joshua? For 40 years, the Israelites had lived in the wilderness between Egypt and Canaan. We know the, the background to this. I'll just give it to you quickly. In the prom, um, in the, in the, between Egypt and the Promised Land, which was Canaan. And during that time, Moses, we know, was their leader. And as the Lord's appointed servant, he had faithfully delivered the law. He urged the Israelites to obey the Lord. He interceded for them, and Moses led them to Canaan's southern border. However... You know, because of Moses' sin, he, he smote the rock instead of speaking to it. God said, you can't go in. And so he died in Mount Nebo. And God appointed Joshua as this new divinely appointed leader to step into Moses' sandals, big shoes to fill, and assume the task of leading Israel into Canaan. And so let's talk about Joshua. He is first mentioned there in your notes in Exodus chapter 17, verse 9. And it's, he's about 45 years old at this time. That's the first time we hear about Joshua. He was born about the time that Moses was fleeing to Midian to flee the Pharaoh after Moses had killed an Egyptian. And so he's going, he's going to be on the backside of the desert for 40 years. And that's when about um, Joshua would have been born. And it was during this harshest time of Israelite slavery in Egypt. And so, class, Joshua would have grown up knowing the harshness, knowing the brutality of Egyptian bondage. And so if God's going to appoint a leader to lead his people, he was getting some experience as, as, as what it was like to be under bondage, to be under oppression uh, for years and years and years. And so um, he strongly, I'm sure, desired freedom from this bondage like all the Jews did at that time. In your notes there, his name means Jehovah is salvation. I think most of us know that, right? Jehovah is salvation. But his original name, by the way, was Hoshea, which means deliverer or salvation. But Moses changed his name to Jehoshua. He added the prefix J, J J-E, J, and that is an abbreviation for Jehovah. And so it went from Hoshea or Hoshea, which means deliverer, to Jehoshua, which means, and shortened to Joshua, which means Jehovah is salvation. And Moses was the one, in Numbers chapter 13, verse 6, who said, I'm going to call you Jehoshua or Joshua. And we know that in the New Testament, Jesus, his name is Jehovah is salvation. That's Joshua or Jehoshua from the Old Testament. And so he was a type of picture of Christ who would come and deliver the children of Israel from bondage into the promised land. Jesus would be the ultimate deliverer who would come, the Messiah, who would deliver us from our sin and and give us eternal life in the promised land of glory one day, and we're waiting that day. Could happen today, right? Could happen anytime. and so that's the connection there. It means Jehovah is salvation. There in your notes, uh, briefly, he was a son of none. That means he didn't have a dad, right? He was a son of none. Exodus 33:11, and U N is the spelling there actually. So that was not a not a. Uh, a significant part, but that was his father's name. In your notes, he was the minister of Moses, and that's important. Look at Joshua chapter 1 and verse 1. It says, Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister. He was Moses' minister. What do you know about Joshua before he began to lead the children of Israel out of bondage? Anybody have any, any knowledge or thought about who Joshua was, some of the things that we know about him? Yes, Robert? He was a man of war. He was. A man of war. He was in fact, that started with the Amalekites when he defeated them. Um, do you remember when, when uh, Moses was up on the rock and Aaron was on the one side and Hur was on the other? And every time when Moses' hands were up, Israel was winning the battle. And when Moses' hands came down because they were getting tired, Israel began to lose the battle. And so Aaron and Hur were on Moses' right hand and left hand. Guess who was doing the fighting? It was Joshua. So you better believe he wanted Moses' hands being lifted because it was his men that were dying out there and his, the struggle that was going on. It was Joshua who was out there fighting that battle. Something else about Joshua you can think of. Dave? Yes, very good. One of the two spies. Who was the other one, class? Joshua and Caleb. That's right, Joshua and Caleb. And that's significant. That's a big deal. We can just slough that off. Oh, he was one of the two spies that said, hey, we can go in and take out the land. When you think about it, it's a much bigger deal than just something simple like that. There's there's a lot behind him saying, we can do this. They're meat for us. Let's take them out. For sure. And so... We'll we'll talk more about those things. But he was Moses' minister here. To minister, by the way, to someone It's to be a servant. It's to be a servant and to be someone's right-hand man and to wait on his master hand and foot. And so Joshua, before he could ever become a great leader, he had first learned to be a great servant. And it says right here, he was the servant of Moses. He was the minister of Moses. Um. There's something to be said about someone uh, who has first spent time in the trenches before rising to the top. I mean, they're doing the grunt work. They're doing the insignificant stuff. They're just behind the scenes. They're getting no glory. They're not getting any notoriety. They're just being faithful. And I believe God understands or that servant understands the, the, the little people, the hard work. And so... if they grow in stature and come to become a leader, I don't think they forget the little people very quickly because they remember their roots where they've come from themselves. And so since he was one of those servants himself in time past, he was probably often for the underdog. He was probably wanting to help those who are out of favor become his closest allies or supporters. And so as verse 1 says, Moses Was a servant, was Moses, uh, was a servant, and Joshua was his minister. And so every leader of God's people should be a servant and should be a minister. And so Joshua was building his qualifications to lead under a great leader himself who was Moses. You know, back in, in the New Testament, When you look at um, James and John, they asked Jesus for those prominent positions, if you remember. Lord, can we sit on your right hand and your left in the kingdom? And Jesus told them, well, whosoever is great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be greatest, let him be your servant. Because Jesus himself didn't come to be ministered to, uh, but to minister. He didn't come to you know, just to master over everybody, it says he came to minister to others, not to be ministered to himself. And so he didn't come to be ministered to, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. And so that's sort of where Joshua's at. He's just, I'll do whatever Moses wants me to do. And so he had to learn that position. He had to put his time in as the minister of, and the understudy of Moses. So God was grooming Joshua to lead his great people as both a general because he was a warrior, he was a fighter, he was a commander out in the battlefield. And so he had that tough side to him. He had to be brave, he had to be decisive, he had to be strong. But also, God selected this person to be a shepherd and to lead the sheep. In fact, back in Numbers chapter 27, you don't have to turn there, but Numbers 27 talks about that whole idea of of a shepherdhood uh, with With um, Joshua. It says in verse 15 of, of Numbers 27, and Moses spake unto the Lord, saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation, which may go out before them, and which may go in before them, and which may lead them out, and which may bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord be not as sheep which have no shepherd. And the Lord said unto Moses, Take thee Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit. And lay thy hand upon him. Even then, Moses was saying, Hey, we need a shepherd to be able to lead these sheep so they don't go astray. Jesus is our great shepherd of the sheep in the New Testament. Yes, he's the leader, he's the teacher, he's the protector, but he's also that humble servant. And that's who Joshua was being groomed to be as well. So he we had both the, the military stratagem, he had decisiveness, he had bravery, he was strong, but he was also had this servant, gentle uh, minister side to him as well. So it was a balance of both. So um, as Moses ministered, Joshua had to s- uh, stood with Moses when nearly everyone else opposed him. Remember, the people continued to grumble and complain and grumble and complain. And yet here was, here was uh, Joshua who was standing with Moses even when Moses was not popular. He had learned from Moses to rely upon God for everything. And he also learned that God judges sin but rewards those that obey him. And those lessons would prove invaluable as now he would be taking over the reins from this great man of God. He got to watch how Moses interacted with God and how he interacted with the people. And we know that Moses was the meekest man in all the earth, right? The Bible says that, that he was the meekest man in all the earth. It's Numbers, and so he watched Moses be dependent upon God, be meek. And even when Miriam wanted to dominate over Moses, what, you know, what gave you all this power, Moses? Where went the Spirit of God from us? Or how did you get all this power that we, we have to listen to you? And that's when God had to say to Miriam, Moses' sister, hey, who do you think you are that you would challenge the Lord's anointed? There was Joshua watching all this take place. God putting his favor on Moses because he was a humble, faithful leader and, and Joshua was learning uh, how to be the same. And so he had that, that bravery as well as the meekness, uh, a combination. So a modern day example class would be someone like this, uh, looking into this reading about that. How many remember who Dave Thomas is? Dave Thomas. Who is he? Yes, that's right. He is the was he's passed now, but he was the uh, the, the the creator and the, uh, the the founder of Wendy's food chain. Listen to this. He became a self-made millionaire. He didn't finish high school. He worked his way up through the ranks of Colonel Sing-